The saying goes, when you need to lose yourself, you will find yourself in a garden. A beautiful garden can inspire us, restore us, and calm us. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And a very, very happy, sunny good morning to you all. My goodness, isn't it just the most glorious day today? Little puppy clouds floating across the blue, blue sky. I woke up this morning, I was like, what is this in the sky? Oh, it's the sky. It's nice and bright blue. But welcome to it. And by the way, I'm sure that you might have noticed if you're living in Johannesburg that, of course, today is Ride Joburg. So that's the big cycle race. It used to be called the 947 um, Cycle Challenge. So if you see those people, rather than getting cross with them because you can't get across the road, go out and encourage them. They are riding in this absolutely hectic heat today. So I think they could deal with a little bit of encouragement. And while you're out there, do keep an eye out for the chalk cows. I think they're my favorites. I was involved in the cycle challenge for many, many years. And the chalk cows go out in their cow suits, a lot of them in those big fluffy suits, riding ice cream bikes and creating a lot of fun and uh, really just amusing, I think, a lot of people along the way while raising money for children with cancer. So remember, there's a lot of people who are riding for specific charities as well. So it's not just a thing about mad cyclists getting out into the noonday sun. It's also about people doing good for other people too. And uh, yeah, if you know that you're going on a route where they've closed off the route, I know that they will be having staggered removals during the course of the day as the, the last riders come through at the cutoffs. Um, just make a different plan to get somewhere else or leave a little bit later. All right, but of course, this is all about gardening. And um, at the moment, I'm not in the studio because I was one of those people who got stuck on the other side of the Great Divide where the bicycles are coming through. So I'm actually sitting in a friend's garden and it is looking absolutely beautiful. That's one thing about the rain is that your gardens end up looking so verdant. The greenery is phenomenal. And of course, they've just put in a whole bunch of annuals, which have just lifted everything. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about today, not just about annuals, but about new varieties of plants which are coming out. We'll be looking at those a little later. But first of all, we've got to go to a bit of what is happening that you can go and visit in the way of open gardens. And this, as I've said before, is one of the things that you can do if you're sort of stuck and thinking, what should I do with my garden? I haven't got any kind of inspiration. You go to an open garden and then next weekend, I think that's next weekend. I don't even know what the day is today. I think it is next weekend. Berkeley House is open and that's in Pine Avenue in Ferndale in Randburg. And it's a beautiful formal garden, but it's also set against the blossoming informality and it's a big one acre garden. Lots of roses or the, and they should be coming into their second flush at the moment. Mature trees, lawns, there's a, <clears throat> a lovely little vegetable garden with uh, little hens running around. And if you have space, you should always have your own cuckoos. Um, it's open from 10 to 4 on the Saturday and Sunday. Uh, 50 rand per person, children under the age of 12 go in free. All the money goes to charity as well. You don't need to book, um, but go along and, and have a look. They do also um, have a tea garden, so you will be able to get something there as well. Now, when it comes to November in the garden, it's a lovely time. We've gone through the exuberance of spring, and we're now heading into the, the soft summer somnolence, the, the muted colors that are coming through. When you drive around, the jacarandas will be dropping all their petals soon. But I see that there's some diaskatonifolia, the pom-pom trees are still out, the bougainvilleas are still looking great. 
But if you're wanting to bring some instant color into your garden and also having something that will protect a lot of your plants, marigolds, I know a lot of people don't like them. I don't like the burnt orange ones personally, but they've got so many different varieties these days and they're very cheerful and they're easy to grow summer annuals. They love heat. They love the full sun. Don't need a lot of water. So you don't actually even need to water them that often if it's raining specifically. And there are so many different varieties these days in bright oranges, yellows, reds. You even get the pinky kind of ones, these. And you get the dwarf French marigolds as companion plants in herb and veggie gardens, which will fend off bugs. So we're going to be talking about things like impatience and begonias and zinnias and all brand new, wonderful varieties that are coming out across South Africa, all thanks to people like all start off. So we're going to be chatting to the one I always think of her as the head garden girl at Ball Startoff. And of course, they have a whole bunch of subsidiaries. They are not a retailer. They actually give um, seeds and cuttings and everything to the growers who then grow it on to go into the nurseries where you can go and buy them from. Um, so we'll be chatting to Kathy shortly, but we're going to be playing her a fantastic little song just for her. It's Stevie Wonder and Isn't She Lovely? This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And if you've just joined us, very good morning to you. Yes, I'm Melanie Walker. This is Blooming Lovely. It's all things green and gorgeous, including our guest today, Kathy Varney from Ball Start Off, who's absolutely delightful. Thanks for joining us, Kathy. Thank you for having me, Mel. Um, I know that you, you've just had like a really, really hard time in the last kind of month or so getting the trials that Ball Startup puts together up and running. But before we get into that, um, give us a bit of background to Ball Startup, what it's about, where it started and what it does. So Ball Startup is actually a family company, um, like a lot of the companies in the horticultural world. And uh, my grandfather actually started it, I think, in 1952, which makes us 70 years old this year. Um, and he started a start of seeds and bulbs. And later on, it was just seeds. And as time progressed and the world changed and my mother took over, um, she started doing different things, which included uh, what we call grow plugs. We started Grow Plug, which is uh, the seedling trays that we supplied to growers. And we started, I think we were possibly the first who did the vegetative uh, cuttings and had our own mother stock of the, the vegetative varieties coming through. And the company's just grown over the years. So we actually have a, a retail side of it, which is Kirchhoff Seeds. And then we have what we call the professional part, which is where we, as you said earlier, we supply the growers with either seeds, cuttings, uh, young plants, either from tissue culture, seed, all of those kind of things. And then they grow it on and supply it to your nurseries and garden centers. So we work with various breeders around the world and try source the new genetics and interesting varieties and strong varieties. And we're all about color and veggies and herbs, but a huge range of products. Well, I know that um, during the world lockdown um, in 2020, when the whole world kind of like shut down and nothing could get anywhere, there was a bit of a problem with um, getting seeds from around the world from your usual suppliers, especially when wasn't there also like a drought in South America where a lot, a lot of the stuff comes from that also impacted upon the availability of various plants? Yeah, there were a, a multitude of things that, 
that happened and it has been a, a challenging few years. The, the drought would affect the seed production and obviously it, it has a kind of knock on effect. So maybe the drought was five years ago, but if the seed couldn't be produced during that time and once the seed has sold out, you struggle to get new ones. So there was things like that. There was obviously shipping issues, but also COVID when the lockdown started lifting a bit, it actually had a very good impact on our industry in that people were gardening. They couldn't go anywhere and they were gardening. So around the world, the availability was just being sucked up. I mean, it was fantastic. Everyone was gardening, but eventually there's no more seed. And uh, it did it did cause some issues. It's still causing some issues. Also, different rules in phytosanitary requirements by each country have also been changed recently. And that also affects how we get the seed in and yeah, how how it gets into your garden. But that's an interesting thing because, I mean, I know that if you're going overseas, I know a lot of people go over there and they'll say, oh, look at these wonderful seeds that they've got over here, these heirloom seeds, we're going to bring them to South Africa. But there's a very much a specific thing that says you may not bring seeds from other countries into another country without like actually going through all the checks and balances like you guys do. Why do they actually have that in place? So. Some seeds you could possibly bring in without what we call a phytosanitary certificate, but you've still got to be letting the officials know that you're bringing it in. Um, and the others, when I say a phytosanitary certificate, think of it as the plant's passport. So whether it's seeds or cuttings or anything, it needs a certificate. And often it's just to say that the plants or the seeds have been tested to make sure there are no diseases that it could bring into the country. Um, we obviously have various food crops, and you can't bring in something that potentially could have some kind of disease or virus that could spread to the food crops and very much impact that industry as well. So it's just about making sure you're following all the rules and doing things right. There are some things you can't bring in because maybe they're invasive. Um, it's it's things like that just to make sure it's all regulated because else we could. We could introduce some crazy thing into the country and, yeah, it would affect various plants. And then they'll have to go and find insects that will come and uh, get rid of the stuff which that's brought in. And then the, those insects become invasive. I know. So it's kind of one of those knock on effect things that happens as well. Um, now, when it comes to um, people who have started gardening during COVID, I think the biggest freak out that everybody had actually was the fact that they couldn't get tomato seeds. Why was there such a dearth of tomato seeds? Is it just because everybody decided to grow tomatoes? Yeah, so I think that was a huge part of it. Uh, the veggie seed sales definitely increased. And I think there was also possibly a little bit of panic buying there, like the world is going to end, so we need to grow our own food because we can't get it in the supermarkets. But that's a good thing. I mean, people should be growing their own and, and gardening, definitely. The tomatoes are... Oh, the tomatoes are complicated. Even at the moment, we're struggling to bring them in. Uh, the requirements have changed from our Department of Agriculture as to what must be shown on the phytosanitary certificate. And mm. it's, it's, it's a, again, it sounds complicated. If it says it must be tested for this and this, and obviously the seed was harvested long ago, it wasn't tested. So now we've got to have, wait till the new harvest of seeds so that they can start including these tests so that they can say on the phytosanitary certificate that everything is clean and clear. And, uh, yeah, it's sometimes, unfortunately, you have to wait. There are some tests that you could do right now, but then it, it, it increases the cost of the seed. So suddenly your tomato seeds, maybe you were 
buying them for 10 rand a packet and suddenly it's 50 rand a packet and people don't take kindly to that. So it's, it's a big job in the background trying to figure out how do we get these fantastic seeds into the country at an affordable price so that people can be growing their own tomatoes. Hmm. But it's not all just about food crops, although, I mean, it is lovely that it got people out and gardening. Well, they didn't have much else they could do. And in fact, if I remember rightly, over in England, I think um, the green industry was the first industry where people were allowed to open up, that people could go and buy plants again, which is a great thing. So it just shows that I think worldwide it's becoming a, a bigger thing as well. We all became far too dependent on having other people do it for us or, you know, just going to a supermarket, as you said, and getting what we needed. But it's not just about growing your own food. Now, give us a bit of background about the trials, because this is one of the things that, I mean, we all wait for certain events to happen, like, you know, overseas people wait for Chelsea. For here in South Africa, especially in Johannesburg, we sit and we wait for Ball Stratov's trials. A lot of people don't know what it's about, though. So the trials are an annual event where we basically show all the new or future varieties that will be coming to the market. So as I mentioned, we deal with different breeders around the world and maybe they bring something out where it's a brand new color. It could be just an improvement on something where it's a tomato that's disease resistant as an example. Um, and so we get the different seed and the cuttings quite early on and we trial them and start making our selections. And then we also show them in November so all the trade comes through the trials and they see the new things that are coming but they also help us so I I think I've got good taste but maybe there's a, a plant there that I think oh I'm not sure this is something and then everyone comes and says wow this is amazing then at least I know okay this is something we should look at bringing in in the future hmm. and one of the ways we do this is we we do uh, the flag test. So what happens there is everyone who walks through trials is given a flag. And to be honest, normally it's not just one because they can't control themselves and they <laughs> put a flag in their favorite variety. And it's, it's a really good way of seeing what people are looking for and what's nice. And it's always been interesting because we do have the public come through the trials as well. We have public media, retailers, growers, everyone. And in the past, not so much this year, but in the past, it was often interesting to see what the public liked versus the trade. So it's always good to have that information to give the trade and say, yes, Mr. Grower, you love this variety, but you've got to consider this one because the public are really loving this bright color. So, but yeah. That's the thing. We are the people, we are the end consumers, okay, the people who are going into the garden centers and we want to buy these. And a lot of the plants, I think, you know, people will look at them and go, Okay, that's quite nice curiosity value, but it's not going to give my garden what I want. So, um, I mean, as you said, yes, great for the breeders, great for the growers, but I think that everybody should be taking what we want as the thing that you should be actually putting onto the shelves more. Yes, definitely. So in these trials recently, it was quite funny. You know, you've got some really weird and wonderfuls that definitely were winning the flag test. But you also had something like your old school zinnias with really bright colors. And when the public walked through and the staff, those were just getting flags left, right and center. And it's, as you said, it's that bright color that people just want to see in their gardens. It just it's really rewarding for them. You can see it from miles away. So definitely we need to take what the what the public like into account. Okay, so let's talk about some of the weird and wonderfuls. I mean, I, I did mention it last week when I was speaking to Michael Rickoff because, of course, he was also out there as well. And he's been involved with putting together like show gardens for you in, in the past as well with the Lifestyle College. 
But um, we were sitting there, and I think both of us said the first thing that caught our eye as we walked into the space were those brand new sunflowers, which were just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, so sunflowers, I mean, sunflowers make everyone happy. You can't go wrong with a sunflower. And these ones are special because they're really dwarf, compact little pot sunflowers. So it's almost like a gift item. Instead of a big bunch of flowers or sunflowers, you give them a pot. And uh, they actually say when you're growing it, if you remove that top flower before it's opened, all the side ones will open and at the same time and look fantastic. But I never have the heart to do that because I love that initial huge flower that just, as I say, it just makes everyone happy. So those were definitely getting a lot of flags. And what's, what's so wonderful about these is once that first flower does go off and you cut it off, all the side flowers down the stem are also going to be blooming. So it really puts on like a long show and you can put it in your garden and yeah, just enjoy the sunshine of these plants. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that was very bright. The other one, which um, immediately I was like, goodness me, that also stands out quite a lot was variegated lavender. Where did that come from? And, and what's so special about it? So it's called, uh, I mean, you obviously get your different species of lavender, and this one is a lavender alardii, uh, and its name is Mielo. And, yes, it's a variegated lavender. A lot of people were asking me, what does the flower look like? And to be honest, I said, okay, I think it's a bit of a pale blue flower. I've seen pictures. I've never seen this variegated lavender flower. It's It's been in our gardens for a long time, and I've never actually seen it flower. It's not about the flower. So it's got that kind of yellowy type foliage with a darker green and lime green and it's just really striking and I think a lot of the landscapers are very keen on this but it's still got that lavender fragrance so it was really a unique plant and everyone went quite crazy about it and funnily enough that's one where we're not going to say hey wait till 2023 or 2024 it's available at the moment. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to be, um, as I said, landscapers. Yes, we're, we're going to go and get that because it is absolutely divine. Because it also, I mean, will take a, a whole bunch of different conditions as well. I mean, a Mediterranean type plant as well. So most lavenders, it'll have the same conditions necessary. Yeah. So, I mean, as I say, it's been in our gardens forever and it just, it, it carries on. It's because it's not about the flower, like a lavender stuccus, you know, when it gets a bit too hot, it will stop flowering. Although we did have one at trials that was still flowering because it's special because it flowers longer into the heat. Um, but this one, the Eladii, it just, it's just about that foliage and it just carries on. I mean, it can be really wet and it's fine and it can be really hot and it's fine. So definitely, like you say, a landscapers type of plant. Okay, we're going to be finding out more about all the different varieties which will be coming onto the shelves shortly, right after this. Don't go anywhere. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And welcome to it. If you've just joined us, we're having a lovely chat about beautiful things with Kathy Barney from Ball Stratov. Now, one of the plants that um, was a rather unusual <laughs> I'm sure it got quite a lot of flags, but I don't know how well it would do with your buying public, Kathy, is the anigazanthus, the kangaroo paws, which um, I think some of us may have seen. They're kind of vaguely succulent. I think they come from Australia, don't they? And they're usually in orange. But my goodness, this year we walked in and we were all like, what is this turquoise plant? Where on earth did this thing come from and how well do you think it's going to do? Oh, it's a good question, Mel. So the anagazanthus, when we've shown it in the past, as you say, it's your oranges, yellows, reds, and pinks. And it's always a hit. 
it always gets loads and loads of flags, but it's not something you see in a lot of people's gardens. It is an Australian plant and very popular there. And actually, when I was in California earlier this year, I saw that they're using it there in all the the cityscapes, in the landscaping in the city. And it's because it is. It's a drought-tolerant plant, but it still gives you the flowers and the color, um, but it's not a huge maintenance. So always very popular, not necessarily the cheapest plant in the world. But this year, as you say, it received many flags. This is a breeding breakthrough. There were three or four colors on display where as you said, it's blue and it's it's almost luminous, like there's a turquoise and a really deep metallic-y looking blue and uh, some very intense purple in it. it. It was really very unique. And the thing with this plant is when you look at it up close, you are. It's, it's breathtaking. But I think if you had to do a huge landscape full of it, you wouldn't get that same effect because mm. it's not from far. You're not going to get that bright red, let's say. Um, so definitely it was a flag winner. Will it be in everyone's gardens? Well, I, I hope so. We are going to be uh, selling it to the growers this year. But I think it's also possibly one of those unique uh, statement pieces, if you will. Maybe you've got a pot that's on a table. Um, my brother, during the trials, he was looking and he said he could just imagine these plants on all the tables in a fancy or quirky restaurant in Cape Town, you know, something mm. like that. It, it really does have that kind of effect. And the one guy who came to trials, he knows the breeder very well. And he says this was years and years and years in the making where he started these things. And he says there are more unique colors to come. So it will be a very interesting one to watch. Yeah, I, I kind of looked. It definitely is one of those plants that I think, you know, you wouldn't do a mass planting of it. it has, otherwise, it will lose its impact. I mean, the fact that they were there and at face height and you're looking at these things and thinking, my goodness, this is it's like some prehistoric creature which has just crept out from the sea. It's like coral, you know, <laughs> like sea anemones coming out of the water. I, I, I don't know if I would want to have a whole bunch of it. It is very much a curiosity piece. But I think the one that most people, you know, if you're thinking you want masses of color, you want something which is cheap and cheerful, is your impatience range still the best sellers when it comes to what gets off the shelves in the retail shops? Uh, yes, very much so. I mean, we do like all these unique things, but you've got your core bedding plants that are always going to be important. As you said earlier, things like your marigolds, things like your petunia bedding and impatience, massively important. So as you know, I think it's uh, three years ago now where we introduced impatience beacon. And this was such an important introduction because downy mildew came into the country uh, possibly 10 years ago already, maybe mm. even more. And it would, affect people's impatience and that amazing color in the shade was kind of gone for gardeners because they would get sick and lose their leaves, lose their flowers and die. And the new impatience were now highly resistant to downy mildew and they've been so fantastically received and they really are really important and gorgeous plants. I always have them on my pavement every every summer and I was actually planting them the other day and the neighbors were walking up the road and going, oh yeah, you're doing the color again. We can't wait to see it. So definitely impatience are important. And at this year's trials, even more exciting, we now got double impatience that are highly resistant to downy mildew as well. These mm -hmm. used to be massive sellers in South Africa. People love them. Again, it's that color in the shade and they're going to be called impatience glimmer. And it's very much for like hanging baskets and containers, but the double blooms, they look like roses. 
So yeah. they've got these, they're covered in little rose-like blooms and people just go crazy for them. So again, in terms of flags, definitely got a load of flags at the trials, especially two of the colors I noticed always people were flocking to, which was the apple blossom and the burgundy. Okay. Well, so, the apple blossom definitely got one of my flags because, you know, I, I try and limit myself to three flags. This year I did go for floor, for, for floor, for four, because that apple blossom glimmer was, I think, probably one of the prettiest plants I have seen in years. No, it's so special. I really do love them. And I've actually put some in the ground to see how they go this uh, summer as well. So now all my neighbors are a bit jealous because I've got these double impatience in my driveway. Are they going to be in the shop soon? Or are they already in there or, or when can we expect them if they're not? I think they will be in the stores early next year. So we've already got the stock that we're building up, the mother stock. But as you know, again, it gets complicated. So we're building it up and we'll start supplying the cuttings to the growers in the next couple of weeks so they'll have plants ready let's say hopefully by february and then definitely next spring and summer there will be loads but this is one of the things i mean how long um does it actually take i mean when you're doing your trialing you've got lots of stuff you put them in the different situations in different beds how many plants are you actually kind of working with and how many different varieties to be able to get one which you know is going to work that everybody likes and it's going to go into the shops how many do you actually discard um, there, there are quite a few that you discard, so to speak, or you just, maybe it doesn't have a place. So let's say we've got this fantastic petunia range and then a new one comes and the breeders go, but this is special. And then we trial it and we go, it's really no different to what we've already got. Then we don't necessarily include it. Uh, in terms of products, I mean, oh, we recently did our new catalog and it's one heck of a book. There are a lot of different varieties and species that we work with and when we're trialing sometimes it is ahead of time so especially with those that we work closely with it might be something that's only going to come out in four years time and I've learned my lesson there where I don't show those straight away to people because they want it now and I can't give it to them now and it's also about helping the breeders so we go back to them and we say yeah it's nice but you know this color is very scraggly or it's it, the habit is not good enough or, you know, you said this has good rain tolerance, but really it, it's no different to your regular varieties and it's going a bit off in the rain or things like that. So, yeah, it's a it's a constant process. We're trialing throughout the year, every year and seeing the new products and waiting for some to come to market. Now you mentioned about uh, petunias as well. So now petunias for me, I, it was never a plant that I was particularly fond of because I'm not really an annuals person. I like to put stuff in the garden that I know is tried and tested. It will come back year after year. And I don't often have enough time to go out and plant like you do. Uh, although I know you don't have much time to do these things. So I'm glad you get around to doing it. And your neighbors must absolutely love you. But the petunia range, um, I started really kind of falling in love with them when you brought out light, um, what was the original lightning? No, starry night. Night sky. sky. The one that looked like a Van Gogh painting. And that was that um, like purple color with the white splotches in it. And then the following year was the lightning sky. And now you've got a new one out this year, which I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, no, I've got to have that one as well. <laughs> What's it called this year's one? Uh, this year's one will be cherry sky. So it's more of a red color with the starry effect on it as well. So now there is a bright pink, a red, a purple. There's one called circus sky, which is kind of 
pink and pink purpley white with a bit of a shimmer, but still the spots. So all these weird and wonderful petunias every year, you're getting a new color or a new kind of design pattern on it. And it really is quite special, quite unique. This year, though, in our trials, I, I do have to say, for me, one of the things that shone out was the Petunia Beauty Curls. And they're an interesting story because you all know how much it rained and it was quite a challenge setting trials up. And even on the week of trials, I mean, we had growers walking through. I, I love their commitment and getting soaked while they walked through. And these Petunia Beauty Curls were just still shining, like their colors were glowing and the petunia flowers weren't going off. And one of the main reasons for this is petunia beauty curls aren't actually just petunias. They're a petunia crossed with a calabacoa and it's called a pechoa. So maybe a bit smaller flowered petunia, but not as small as a calabacoa, but outstanding weather tolerance. And again, in your unique colors. So they really were a standout for me just based on all that rain, how they didn't go off in the rain. It was really spectacular. Well, the one that you brought out last year, which was that cross as well, was the bee's knees, which is that very pale yellow, but like startling pale yellow, which I believe did incredibly well overseas. Yeah, so bee's knees, again, it's got that calibrachoa gene in it, so it gives it the better weather tolerance. And you say it's a pale yellow, but the, the thing about it is it's got the pale edges, but it actually intensifies, and the center of the flower can actually get to a really bright yellow. And this is unique for a petunia because it's always been just insipid pale yellow, and then all these new yellows came out. So bee's knees is a very bright yellow, depending on the weather conditions, but even when it's pale it's it's really striking and you get some others now like in the beauty curls you get one but that yellow it'll be darker but it's without sounding strange it's almost like a dirtier yellow it's got like green undertones whereas bees mm. knees the reason it's been so successful around the world is not only its color but it's weather tolerance as well where it's just it really shines throughout everything now, this must be something which is quite difficult to to kind of like work out for South Africa specifically when it comes to what you're going to grow, because we have such different weather in different provinces in South Africa. I mean, we, we're a summer rainfall area up here. Then, of course, we've got the winter rainfall down in the Cape and you've got the humidity um, down in KZN. And then, of course, this hectic dryness in other parts of the country. How do you I mean, do you trial all of these plants in those different conditions as well? Or are you only kind of like working in one specific region? So. When we trial ourselves and grow it, obviously it's only in Joburg because that's where we're based, but we do supply nationally. So we do send things to customers to also try out or basically once it's listed, they also give feedback, but we do trial programs with key customers as well. And it's, it's interesting what you say. I mean, we're, we're a bit different to our international counterparts. They very much have a season where they're supplying plants to their growers and then it's quiet. Whereas we're supplying year round because what works in Natal obviously doesn't always work in Joburg in winter, but in Natal they can be growing it all year round. We have some marigolds where they're actually for high humidity regions. So those will go to different customers than your regular marigolds that will suit Joburg or Cape Town better. So uh, it really is quite interesting. And we try to get the feedback back from the growers as well to see how they perform in their climates. 
Well, this is one of the main things I think when people are looking for annual plants that, um, I mean, you know, as you said, with the um, downy mildew that happened with your impatience, um, is, is your disease resistance those plants that can handle various conditions? Because, I mean, especially with the droughts we've been having in South Africa over the last few years, I mean, that, that would play havoc with a lot of your planting as well. So you need to get the stuff which is more drought resistant. So are the ones that you're bringing through, the ones that are being bred, are they being bred specifically to become more drought tolerant? Uh, it's a good question. There are some where they're trying to make them a bit more drought tolerant. And obviously, there are just some products that have increased in popularity. So your succulent sales would have gone through the roof during the droughts and uh, yeah, during the bad years. Uh, some of the plants, yes, they do try and breed drought tolerance into them. But it's not always possible for every plant. Some plants are just thirsty or so then they may say, okay, well, rather grow it in a, a shadier spot. So now at least it doesn't need as much light, but it doesn't need as much water. So mm-hmm. they're always trying to breed in things like that drought tolerance, um, natural compactness. So it doesn't get out of hand because these days there are a lot smaller gardens. So you've got your patio gardeners and little containers. So they try breed those kind of compact plants into their programs so that people can still garden even when they have no space. And also uh, in the, the spirit of sustainability, a lot of the plants, you know, in the past, the growers or whoever would need to spray them to keep them compact uh, or spray them because of the disease or anything like that. So they're breeding so that you don't have to do that because obviously there's an issue with some of the chemicals people would use and the runoff of that going into the environment. So now they breed plants that you don't have to use the chemicals anymore. Hmm. Yeah, we must try and be as, as sustainable and as kind to the environment as possible instead of letting everything run into the groundwater. Now, the big question is, of course, um, we, which plants actually got the most flags? I know which plants got my flags. I've already said the glimmer, um, apple blossom, the sunflower, the um, lavender, and then there was that uh, wonderful dianthus. Oh, my goodness, the dianthus this year were just phenomenal. Those huge flowers. I mean, where where did those suddenly come from? Because I've always thought about dianthus as having kind of quite smallish, like um, the old one rand coin size flower. Yeah. Oh, so you, I remember where you put your flags. You put your flag in the dianthus, the coronet. Um, funny story about it. It used to be called dianthus corona and they renamed it <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> to um, a different kind of a crown, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And it's so, I mean, it's so funny because Corona really suited it. Like if you yeah. think of a Corona. At the time, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, they do, they, they're massive flowers and often like the bicolors that's just really, uh, as you said, they were very unique. And you put yours in the, I think it was purple. Purple eye. eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, those dianthus, very, very good plants, um, very large flowers, and they cope well with the cooler conditions. But also, as you saw, they were still going into the warmer conditions as well. Uh, in terms of where did the flags go? So you've already mentioned a lot of them. The anagazanthus definitely was on the top with the glimmer. Um, and as I said, very specifically, the glimmer, all the colors got flags. But I did see that the apple blossom and the burgundy were definitely the number one favorites. Funny enough, we had uh, two succulents. We had one that's a cross. It was an allogasteria. And then we had another one, which was a hawarthia. I think it was called spider white. And mm-hmm. it was just very clear lines on it. And those got a huge amount of flags. I was quite surprised. I thought everyone would be 
succulented out by now. But I think because of their unique colors and forms, they definitely got quite a lot of flags too. Then we also had some new begonias on display. So we had the begonia hula, which was is for it's a spreading begonia sempiflorens. So it's still the small little flowers, but actually well suited now to hanging baskets and to containers. So the growers were actually quite a fan of that because they've now got a begonia in a in a basket that really should be there. It will trail down and you still get those lovely little begonia flowers. But then you also had the begonia dragon wing white, and this is a huge thing for all of us. Dragon wing is a, is a very popular plant mm. and always has been. I mean, South Africans go crazy for the dragon wings. And we've been waiting for a white forever. It's taken a long time to finally get a white. And white is a hugely important color, especially in the shade, because it's just going to brighten up those dark spaces. So the dragon wing white did get quite a lot of flags, uh, just because everyone was excited that it's it's now been introduced. What else got some flags? Uh, the calibracoas, everyone always enjoys them. Oh, and you beautiful. get some interesting colors, so they also got quite a lot. And your variegated lavender, I mean, that one people went crazy for as well. There were a lot of flags in there and the sunflowers that you mentioned. So you can definitely call it, Melanie. You, you knew what <laughs> I knew what people were going I knew what I would like to have in my garden. So I know what other people would like. And I mean, that's the way to go a lot of the time is to make sure that you're getting the right things out to the people who are going to buy it at the end of the day. But, um, you don't only do color plants and, and edibles. I mean, the, as you said, now you've got the succulents coming through as well. You also have the coleus. There weren't as, you didn't have as big a range of your, um, foliage plants this year though yeah it's it's a funny one um someone was saying why don't we do a trial where we show everything that we list and i said i'm gonna need a lot more land to try put on a display like that so it just it sometimes depends you get one year there's like a lot of new veggie intros but not as much color and so this year we did show some coleus and it's an interesting story because one of them I wasn't sure was going to be a winner so I didn't list it and that did get a lot of flags because it's it's called trailblazer and it's a lot more vigorous but with really small leaves and really bright colors and as because they're vegetative they're very heat tolerant you, you can put them in the sun so it's not just coleus for the shade anymore so you say why wasn't there a huge range we've got our range and then it's just whether the breeders have been working on something new in the foliage class or not. So we had a few out there, uh, some from seed and some from cuttings, uh, but not as many as in previous years. And I think it just works out that way. What's coming through from the breeders. Uh, the, you talk about the, the cuttings as well, which is quite interesting because I have a lot of people saying to me, what's the difference between a pot dahlia and one that you grow from a bulb? So can you explain it in better terms than I can? So the dahlias that we supply, so, I mean, you'd know that Hideko would supply your, your dahlias from bulbs and you can put that bulb in the garden and it's going to come back every year, uh, presumably. <laughs> and, well, if you look after it right, yes. Yeah, pretty much. And so the ones we do, um, they're propagated from cuttings. So we stick the cutting in the soil and grow your plug and it grows into the plant. Uh, but once that's in the ground, it's still going to act like your Hideko bulb dahlia. It's still the same plant. So it will, it will set that rhizome bulb in the ground and they'll disappear in winter. You cut them back and they will come back every year. The ones we're doing, it's more about the plant habits. So more compact and also 
dahlias tend to get powdery mildew in the garden, and these don't claim to be completely immune to it, but they've got a lot higher resistance to the powdery mildew, so they last longer and give a great garden performance. And you do, you get different sizes, so they're not your tall, tall lavenders that we'll leave to the bulbs, and we do the ones where you can. You can put it in a container. It's a nice little compact pot dahlia. And they're grown from cuttings as opposed to from bulbs. Will they form a bulb afterwards, though, if you leave them, or, or would you use it like more as an annual? No, it will form a bulb. So all the dahlias that you saw in the gardens this year, where you've got your different bicolors, and they've been there for the last three years. They were from trials three years ago. They disappear, and it's quite funny because we've got some new people on the team, and they're like, why aren't you filling this piece of the garden? And I'm like, just wait. It's coming. I know what's coming. And then it does <laughs> on a beautiful display uh, but you're, you're also doing um, grasses and some very other interesting things as well which I, I'm very glad to see coming through um, what what are the new ones that you've got in the forms of ornamental grasses for instance it's funny we're actually looking for uh, some more these days and we're also looking for stronger grasses for the cut flower growers actually because they're looking for the foliage to add into their bouquets but in terms of the grasses, we had a, um, I think it was an imperata on display, uh, just with more reddish tones coming through. There was a, I'm, I'm not always good at pronouncing these names, I think it's Muhlenbergia, uh, and it was too early to see, but it also it gets these rosy red tints oh. on the side of the grass. And so very much like a landscaper type item where you can just do a huge display of that. And then we do Lamandra as well. That's coming through and, again, very popular with the landscapers. And then there's your regular Carex, Junkus, your twisty ones. So grasses are something that go in and out of fashion as you go along. And I think it could be because once you plant them up, you know, it's pretty full. But maybe later on you start adding a few more different textures to your garden. So they give that effect. One thing I'm sure a lot of people are asking is like some people don't like begonias. Okay. They, they kind of like, yeah, but they're not like the impatience. So of course we go for impatience, which you can use in a shady area. You would go for begonias, which you can use in a shady area. What else is there that you could put into the shade other than like foliage plants? And is there, are there any plans ahead to breed more plants that can actually handle shade rather than like some semi shade? Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. There aren't that many colorful plants that can handle deep shade. I mean, even your impatience and begonias, if it's deep, deep shade, they'll do okay, but you're not going to get the color if as much color as if it was semi shade or, you know, not at that deep dark shade. And there are a lot of green plants like your philodendrons and things like that that can handle the shade. Some of the ferns as well. Uh, in terms of foliage, one of the solutions is your coleus. So I said it's now being bred to also cope in the sun, but it can also go in the shade. And it's a nice way of getting bright colors. So it's not flowers, it's leaves, but incredibly vivid reds and yellows and greens. There's the one that everyone loves. It's called wasabi. I think the name is part of it, but it is. It's that really bright lime green. And you get things like your hypoestes as well. And we had one of those this year in trials that was added in at the last minute. It's really big, big leaves and very strong plants. And that gives you your color in the shade. But it's a, it's a hard one. There are not a huge amount of plants that can go in the shade. And as far as I know, 
there's not a huge amount being bred coming down the line. I think maybe it can tolerate a bit less light, but yeah, that's something we hope to see more of in the future, maybe. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, because I, I know some like the older properties with very well established trees, they, they kind of don't have a lot of light coming through a lot of the time. So getting more color into the garden can be a bit of a trial, <laughs> just like I'm sure that you find up with your trials as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is why the impatience are so important. There's still that key product that works in the shade. Okay. So what are the top um, ones that are coming that you reckon will be coming onto the shelves in say the next four or five months that we should all be looking out for and actually getting excited about? So, I mean, we've mentioned quite a few of them uh, and definitely those still stand. Uh, there were a few other things. So the Angelonia that we showed this year, it's called angel dance and i've always loved angelonia i think it's a very underrated plant it's also known as the summer snapdragon and they really they they're strong plants and they've got that kind of snapdragony feel to the flowers which is why people like them and the ones that we've introduced now they, they've got very uh, not variegated but bicolors on the blooms so there's like a fuchsia and white and a purple and white and they're really just striking flowers but once they're all open, it's just, it's full of color. And these are quite, they're a bit bigger than the other angelonias on the market. So they're called angel dance because the idea is they'll dance in the wind. You know, the marketing is mm. always very important. Um, but yeah, so those definitely look out for those because their performance, they, they handle anything until the frost hits them. So I think they're fantastic annuals. Then. Some of what other people liked, the very strangely, we had a lot of Bracteanthus on display. And those are your like straw flowers. And the staff at work are hilarious because they kept saying, but these are fake. They really did think they were made out of paper. And they were the new ones that we've got coming through are very bright, vivid colors on a very nice plant habit. So it's not scraggly or anything. It's just, again, <laughs> my garden benefits after trials and it's it's keeping that strong color and actually i'd never known this before i learned during these trials that they open and close with the light like your portulacas yeah. or your delispermid these do too and i never knew that so we always learn something new there's nothing wrong with learning then new talking stuff of delispermids there was a new one sorry i said there's nothing wrong with learning something new all the time yeah so on the Dillis Berman note, that's also something to look out for because we got these new ones, just three colors that were in trials. Um, they're really large flowers and they go further into the heat. So often everyone loves those Dillis Berman type flowers, but then once the heat comes, they're gone and, you know, they, they put on such a show. So these ones were quite special because they're going to go further into the summer. What else was there? One of my favorite smells, so you definitely and look out for there was a pelagonium it's an interspecific pelagonium which means it's kind of got the best of both so it's got the best of the zonal pelagoniums and the best of the peltatum but it was just a new color it's called champion and the color is mandarin and it was oh, for me it, it was something special that showed out there so look out for that one too that that one is what I think of all the pelagoniums I've seen in a very long time. That one for me really is absolutely beautiful. Also, it doesn't get scraggly, compact, 
will handle all kinds of range of weather. And of course, it's indigenous, which is fabulous. So we, we're always looking out for the new indigenous range coming out as well. Well, we could sit here and talk plants all day, but we haven't even gotten into the foxgloves and other annuals that are coming out. But I'm sure that if people keep an eye out on the shelves in the garden centers, as well as any of the seeds that will be coming through in the future, I mean, you're going to be seeing such an amazing range of plants because I have the book. And going through that book is just, you say, I've got to have seven of those and five of those. And oh my gosh, where am I going to, I'm going to have to buy a whole new garden to be able to put all these plants in because they're so beautiful. So <laughs> Kathy, so thank you so much for actually spending some time with us this morning. And um, I look forward to the trials happening again next year and, and some more exciting things coming through. Um, and of course, um, you must just let us know if the public can come and join because I'm sure that people would love to come and see the gloriousness that, of the displays that you put on yes we're we're very welcoming to anyone who appreciates the beauty we used to have a public open day on the saturday and we'll see if that happens again in the future but the public we've got some diehard fans they know when it is and they come through and we welcome them they can come through every day uh, sit in the gardens we had a big crowd this year come and have their picnic for five hours in our gardens and we we've this is blooming lovely with melanie walker should we say that was blooming lovely with Melanie Walker, except until the little garden gremlins decided to come and creep in. I was just about to say, Kathy Bonnie, thank you so very much for joining us. I will be seeing you out in the gardens. I'm going to come and purloin some of those wonderful glimmers, <laughs> which is always a wonderful thing to have. And because now the rain seems to have gone for a while, I know that you, Kathy, specifically will enjoy this particular song because I'm sure that you can see a lot more clearly now. We'll catch you again next week, Kathy. Take good care. We'll speak to you again soon and to the rest of you enjoy your blooming lovely sunday and we'll see you soon bye bye